0: Good evening you fantastic and glorious degenerates of this floating rock that we call earth Welcome to the Cajun Libertarian Live, the fastest growing libertarian podcast in the libertarian movement I am your host the Cajun Libertarian and tonight we'll be talking foreign affairs Man do we have a big discussion on that with Scott Horton coming up next on the Cajun Libertarian Live yes indeed welcome back let's get right into it let's bring scott on right now scott how are you oh we got no audio again
1: No, that's my fault i turned the button (laughs) off but i turned it back on how are you doing man
0: i'm doing well thank you for coming on the show how are you
1: i'm doing pretty good very good you are very busy how was
0: uh fox on kennedy last night
1: oh it was all right man um You know, uh, the the guys that I was on there with were a bit more hawkish than me, but we didn't really fight. In fact, I contradicted the one guy and he let it slide. Um, so, you know, I got to have my piece. It's um, I'm getting old. I'm not as sharp as I used to be. So, yeah, I think if I was a little bit smarter, it'd be easier for me to keep a better outline in my head of exactly what I want to say, because I end up like, oh, I got time. I can say one more thing. And, you know, me, I can start a new sentence really quickly after the end of one in order to, like, get right. away with it. But like, but then the question is like, am I going to get away with it or is she going to be like, ah, 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 you know, next guy now? Because it's a very p- fast paced type thing, you know. Um, yeah. So uh, I. Um, you know, I, I wish I had said things that were left unsaid, but I'm happy with what I did say, other than. I called Paul Nitsa Robert Nitsa, which makes me sound stupid, even though I knew it was Paul. But in that moment, I was like, that doesn't sound right. But no, of course it sounds right. That's his name, stupid. But anyway, that's just because I'm stupid. And then the other thing was, <laughs> I said, yeah, I didn't think that Putin was going to resign when I meant invade. Just using the exact <laughs> wrong word that has no even correlation. And the reason why is because I was going to say Tony Blinken should resign you know, he uh, failed to stop this war from happening, but I never did say that, but that was why I had the word resign on the brain. So I used the wrong word when I meant to say invade. So that sucks when you're on the TV in front of a million people to just completely use the wrong word and not even notice. And then just keep talking. Not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody picked up on it. And you know, I know nobody cares knows. except
1: me, yeah. I, you know, but right. it is what it is. Right. It happens.
0: So, um, uh, I wanted to ask you, I, I was going to give you my personal opinion first, let you correct sure. me where I'm wrong. Go and, ahead, man. Uh, all right. So it's a bit hey, you of a might 2 right Teach
1: me a thing or two, man. I'm listening.
0: <laughs> I, I doubt it. Um, two-part question here. Number one, as I watched what happened with Afghanistan, I thought the obvious, right? How in the hell can you pull out all the troops prior to pulling out all the people and lo and behold, boom, you have a bunch of dead Americans and a bunch of dead Afghanis, especially after 18 months of no combat deaths yeah. in Afghanistan. And going on that, it, it just a dis- I'm yeah. glad we're gone, but that pullout to me was a disaster. And yeah. how much do you think this played into Putin's uh, plan to invade, if at all?
1: All right. Well, I'll do that first. Nothing to do with it other than you could say that you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan is a recognition on the part of the Americans that by which I mean, our government, our our foreign policy establishment, uh, that there is a limit that they can't just do whatever it is that they want to do and get away with it anywhere in the world forever. And I mean, hell, 20 years in Afghanistan. And then implied in your statement, of course, is that the Afghan government itself completely evaporated, and its military with it. It ceased to exist in a moment's notice as soon as we weren't there to prop it up anymore. Yep. And um, so, in a larger sense, if you said that Putin might have gotten the sense that, you know, obviously the high watermark of American power and influence was when George Bush blew our whole wad invading Iraq in '03. <sighs> And despite all the wars we fought since then, it's been all downhill since then in terms of American power and influence in the Middle East and in Europe and in Asia and around the world. And they know that. So is it true that Putin thought America's, you know, a bit weaker than before, has a bit less bombastic of a president that he thinks might be a little bit easier to push around or something? Possibly. Um, You know, but I think that's reading way too much into it. And it would certainly... You know, the Fox News narrative is, yeah, see, Biden portrayed weakness in Afghanistan, and so Putin, right. you know, took a certain but <clears throat> the thing is, none of them have a coherent argument for how we were supposed to continue to stay in this war in Afghanistan, somehow right. win it, somehow fend off the Taliban, any of this. These are just talking points with no substance, right? The reality right. was the Taliban won that war and America lost it. And the and the truth is. Quite really, you know, uh, quite something vocabulary term. Sorry, it's late now. I've been doing this all day. Um, uh, no, Quite actually, if they had broken the ceasefire deal and said we're staying, then the Taliban would have gone back to war. Yeah. The reason, as you put it quite correctly, that we had no combat deaths is because we had a truce with the Taliban that said, while we're negotiating in Qatar, we're going to not shoot at each other. And which was actually not even true. The Americans were bombing the hell out of them from the sky the whole time. They just weren't engaging them on the ground with Marines and Green Berets anymore. In fact, they had the Special Operations Command team up. To be more specific, JSOC team up with the Taliban to fight, quote, as their air force in targeting ISIS, because for the last couple of years of the war. It was clear that the Taliban had won. The Afghan government was a ridiculous joke. What were we going to do? Get the Afghan government to go get ISIS for us? Don't even waste my time with that, right? If we're going to get anybody, we're going to get the Taliban to go after ISIS for us. And never mind, I'll tell you another story. You can ask me if you want me to follow it. We'll go back to how come there's such a thing as ISIS in Afghanistan anyway. (laughs) And I'm sure you can guess whose fault that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's our fault. Of course, and we'll get back on that. But point being there that, you know, by the end of the war, we're getting along just fine with the Taliban. And if we had broken the deal and stayed, then we'd have had to go back to war. And that would have meant not the 10,000 troops we had. That would have meant Biden would have had to send another 50,000 troops back to Afghanistan to prolong the war and then lose again anyway in another 10 or 15 or 20 years. And that was why he said, and he was speaking for much of the foreign policy establishment. Um, well, a significant minority of the foreign policy establishment uh, and for himself, when he said, look, man, I'm the fourth president in charge of this war, and I'm just not going to pass it off to a fifth. I'm just not going to yeah. do that take taking responsibility for this thing right now. And the thing is, he did break the deal, but only he bent it. Right. He didn't really break it. What happened was Trump signed a deal that said we'd be out by May of 2021 right. and Biden came in and said, well, I don't want to do anything that has brand Trump attached to it and that I had to do what he said. So it's my decision (laughs) to leave the war, but we're going to do it my way. But Joe Biden is a stupid idiot. And he's also really old and so can't even really pay too much attention and or think very critically at all at this point. He always was a big dummy, this guy. Um, Yeah. So he says, essentially, again, for his own political reasons, right? How does this look on TV? How does this look in D.C. if I do what Biden wanted me to, or what Trump wanted me to do? I don't want to do that. I, I got it. It's got to be my decision that I own myself. And then by by doing that, he also bought himself a little bit of um, favor from the national security state, who I think led by the Pentagon. I'm not exactly sure what the CIA was saying about this at the time, but certainly the yeah. Pentagon was saying that they wanted to stay. And that, Mr. Biden, you got to let us do a review and see what we can do and all these things. And so he was giving them, you know, like a little bit more time to make their case by because, see, in other words, if he was going to stick by the May deadline for the withdrawal, he would have had to order that as soon as he was sworn in. As soon as he was sworn in, he would have had to say, we're sticking with the timetable, boys. No arguments. Do it. You heard me. Do it. But wouldn't a proper administration... He wanted to give them a chance to argue and let their feelings be known and whatever while he told yeah. them no anyway. And plus, as I say, he wanted it to be his decision, not Trump. So that's how the deadline got pushed back. Now, I'm sorry. Go ahead there.
0: No, no, no. I was just going to say, wouldn't a proper and uh, engaged and informed incoming administration know, hey, this is the number one thing we have on our table, even though they've made COVID the number yep. one thing, but... Pushing past that. We know that this Afghanistan withdrawal is in May. This needs to be at the top of the order. As soon as we take office, if we do, we have the plan set in place. Let's get them out. Let's get this over with immediately. Why couldn't they just do that?
1: Well, they're the Democrats, man. They suck. Terrible terrible people on in every way. I mean, just even think. I mean, they put this in the paper themselves, right? Like this wasn't some scoop, like somebody tattletailing on them. They told the newspaper that like, you know, we didn't want it to look like we were going along with the Trump plan. We wanted to make it different. Biden wanted it to be his withdrawal, not Trump's withdrawal. I mean, they said that themselves.
0: It's just crazy.
1: Playing with people's lives. that's their, yeah, you know, it is. It's the, this is like one of the key things that turns people into libertarians. When they understand the incentive structures of the way government works. Whatever it is that they do is never based on the right thing for the country. It's based on what's right for them and as individuals in their little cabinets and departments and bureaus as they make these decisions that control the rest of us. And it's just they are bananas. They do the wrong thing constantly. So in this case, I mean, and seriously, if any of these guys know anything about Afghanistan at all. May 1st is basically, you know, did you grow up watching uh, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd? You might be yeah. too young. No no, but, no, 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 I'm almost 40. They, you know, they switch from duck season to rabbit season, and they're always right. fighting yeah. over this duck season and rabbit mm-hmm. season. right? Okay, well, May 1st, it's now duck season, meaning right. the ta- it's fighting season now begins. It is now on, and the Taliban are now, mm-hmm. you know, rising from their winter hibernation stretching their muscles, loading their AK-47s, and going back to work. And they have very little work left to do at this point. Now, if you work for Biden, looking at this situation, you say, sir, we got to bail, even for Biden's own political fortune, if that's all you care about. Uh, Let me be more specific. If you work for Biden and your job is political spin, if you're Hmm. smart, Right. Never mind like actual responsibility, like you're a State Department guy or a Defense Department guy. But let's just say right. you're in charge of public relations. Hey, the government we built and the army we built are going to fall apart as soon as we leave That's or what I was gonna very be. soon after. <laughs> right. When the Taliban come <laughs> for them. So we should go sooner than later, because if we go sooner, then we'll have what they called when we left Vietnam in humiliating defeat and withdrawal yep. and disgrace. What they called, um. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm forgetting the the catchphrase for it. The um. Oh God. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's the um the period of uh, making the time it takes for you to forget about it, man. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. You're the fine. Of
0: phrase. It's, so it's, funny.
1: It's, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I use it a million times too. But it's the um, it's the time that it takes the American people to look away and forget about it before Saigon falls. That's what oh, I'm talking yeah, about.
0: Yeah, yeah. God, uh, I can't Memory remember hole. The
1: cliche for the life of me, it's killing me. I'm so Mem- sorry. I got me- the memory hole. Onset senility here. Um, no, you're but anyway, you're talking, about,
0: you're talking about memory hole?
1: No. See, this is going to drive me crazy now.
0: <laughs> so I shouldn't have um, even thrown that if out. If we
1: weren't live, I would like make a phone call and do my lifeline, <laughs> right, right, like right. that game show. Yeah. I need a lifeline. <laughs> what do right? they call that? I know it's in my brain, I just can't find it killing oh, yeah. me
0: it happens to me um, all day every day it's funny <laughs> that you had brought that up too because i was literally just about to ask you why couldn't they just come out and say hey look we're gonna pull out of afghanistan and the afghanistan government is gonna fall apart immediately just expect that man that would have been saving grace for their administration instead of trying to claim victory i mean what what are they yeah. what are they thinking
1: well, I mean, that was the thing, right? It was because they didn't want to do Trump's timetable. They pushed it off for four months. So they didn't really break the deal. They just bent the deal. So they didn't really, they didn't, in other words, they didn't break the deal so badly that the Taliban would go back to war with them. The Taliban grudgingly accepted this because we're still leaving. And they knew we are right. still leaving. Um, right. so, but we're just leaving four months later. But meanwhile... Right. Their fighting season has just begun, so the whole time we're leaving, kind of in slow motion, in the spring and the summer, they are kicking the Afghan national army's ass all up and down the country. So by the time the war, by the time the withdrawal is finally really getting going and and you know nearing completion here, they're taking over the whole country in the daylight, not just yeah. at nighttime. But they, and in fact they very quickly headed off all the Tajiks and Uzbek forces up in the north and seized the north of the country before they moved down against Kabul. So they were very smart the way that they right. did it. In a lot of these places, they had already infiltrated their way in and had, like, essentially sleepers, at least as far as the Americans could tell. So, uh, and, and at the military bases, they would go to the military bases and say, look, surrender, we'll let you go home. We're not even going to take you to jail. We'll let you go home. Just give us your rifle and beat it. And all the soldiers said, fine, and left. And they took, uh, you know, a few captains out back to get shot. But all the, you know, regular foot soldiers from the Afghan National Army were allowed to live. So then the word spread that the Taliban's being real nice as they take over the country. Just go along <laughs> with them and they're not going to hurt yeah. you, which was, you know, true. I mean, if you're in the army that's being defeated, it's nice to hear that when the marauders come, that they're actually letting you go home to your wife. You know what I mean? That's a pretty sweet yeah, deal compared to absolutely. what it could be, you know? So that really incentivizes people then to why resist? I'm going to die in a shootout with these guys who I right. know are going to win and I know aren't going to shoot me if they win. And I, you know, because I, I already heard that like 10 times earlier this week, they let people live. So cool, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was how they just swept through the country there. Now, here's yep. the deal. Yep. They, you, you really nailed it the way you phrased the question before, right? Thank you. Why couldn't they tell the people the truth? Right. That was the thing of it. In order to, in order to say, in order to not leave all that military equipment behind, right. And in order to not have civilians fleeing at the last minute as the Taliban's walking in and taking over the capital city of Kabul, there, the way it played out, you would have, as you said, you would have had to have just told the American people, look, the government and the military that we built, they can't stand. They just can't. So what we're going to do is we're going to just abandon their sorry asses. There ain't nothing we can do about it. We're going to take all that military equipment out because if we don't, the Taliban's going to get it. And we're going to ship all our civilians out now, even though, yes, you could claim that that undermines faith in the government. Trust us. This government's made of cardboard boxes, man. It can't stand without us anyway. And so we're hightailing it. You can criticize us for hightailing, but we're just telling you that it would have all fallen anyway but you see the the rub there. They couldn't do that politically because people would have said, no, see, it's your fault. You undermine the Afghan National Army by taking all their equipment away. And you undermine the government in Kabul by taking all the civilians out of the country. So in order to like save face and prop up a pretension, they actually left all that military equipment on the ground in those bases and actually left all those civilians in the city to keep up the facade. In other words, we're not leaving because we lost a humiliating defeat and the government that we built is a total joke. No, we're right. leaving because we did a great job. We won, we built this right. great government and we built a 300,000 man army that totally rules. And so it'll be fine. And if the Taliban do take over the country, it'll probably take years. That's what they were telling the papers. At least a yep. month, at least six months, yep. eight months, 15 <laughs> months, 18, I don't know, forever. And so but this minutes. was all just smoke, right? This was all just yeah. cover. But then, so as you're pointing out here, the lie caught up with them as they're leaving yep. the country. They've got total chaos at the airport. Refugees desperate to escape. The suicide bomber kills a guy. The CIA, evidently, uh, their hired local death squads Open fire with machine guns into the crowd after the suicide bomber uh, uh, went Jeez. off. Um, Remember, they said it was two suicide bombers. No, it was one suicide bomber and a bunch of guys on, quote unquote, our side machine gunning the crowd after the bombing happened. And, um, you know, and then, of course, the uh, absolutely horrible drone strike in a case of, you know, idiots following the wrong Corolla and bombing a guy who not only did they bomb this innocent guy, they bombed and killed 10 people. Seven of them were little children. Okay, three of them adults. Mm -hmm. And the guy that they targeted had spent not just that whole day, which he had, but had spent the last decade of his, you know, his entire adult life, essentially driving around Afghanistan, that little Corolla, bringing soybeans and water to desperately hungry widows and orphans. That's who he was. And he worked for Mm. an NGO out of California. That was his one job was giving soybeans to little kids so they don't die. And then that's who they killed. Um, and too bad, too, because if he would lived, he was in the middle of filling out his application to move. And his NGO was going to try to get him and his family and move them oh safe to San Diego, God. California. We could be a patriotic American citizen and and mm. evidently would have been one of the best of us. If you look around you, uh, Mr. Soybeans right. and water for the starving, you know, probably would have been one of the best new Americans uh, we could have had. And said they blew him and his little babies to pieces because they were scared that it was a truck bomb or a car bomb that was going to go toward the airport. It was pulling in. He was pulling in his own driveway at the time had bottles, you know, those bigger bottles of water that you have at an office or something like a water cooler type bottles of water with them.
0: And then they stand and then they want to sit up there and criticize Putin for killing kids. I mean, I, I've been thinking about and this God. for two days. It's Unbelievable. You're such freaking disgusting, evil hypocrites. We're drone striking families and kids and people delivering goods and services for their own, you know, for their people and wanting to be good Americans. And they're going to stand up there and criticize uh, any any other government for killing kids and people right now in this moment after we just have we just watched this happen in Afghanistan. It's absolutely disgusting.
1: I know it's crazy. And listen, man, like not to get all woke and PC because I'm not very woke and pc i mean i don't know i'm yeah, just a guy either. over here i don't go along with these trends and these kinds of things Damn. but the truth is th- besides all this critical race theory crap there's always been plenty of racial tensions in history in this country that are worth studying and understanding right. and i think it does have a lot to do with our foreign policy frankly you know when i was a kid it was a little bit more blatant um in terms of like uh, the racial language used like sand n words and camel jockeys and hodges and this kind of thing um to to kind of dehumanize people but man i gotta tell you what there's this really great guy named alan mcleod and i'm pretty sure he's a communist but i like him at least he's not a goddamn democrat you know oh sorry you can censor me there (laughs) at least he's not at least he's not a democrat you know and i i respect the communists in a way because they're you know some of them in journalism at least uh, are really good on wars and some of the same things that I hate. Right. So I have some friends among them. But anyway, I really like this guy McLeod. He's done some really great work. and he had this thread of all the most racist coverage of the war in Ukraine. And it's essentially just ABC, CBS, NBC, and the BBC uh, over in England and a few others. And they're all just, you know what I mean? It's like uh they say out of the mouth of babes or maybe more like uh, exactly. more like out of the mouth of a drunken Karen, you know, um. <laughs> where they just blatantly just say that, like, you know, watching Syrians and Iraqis and Afghans get bombed is one thing, but these Ukrainians, why, they have white skin and blue eyes just like us. It really makes you think that maybe war really is bad. And just, like, these most ridiculous kind of statements like that, where, like, if you were their friend if that was your mom, you'd go, right. mom, don't say that. You know what I mean? Like, oh God, it comes out sounding so horribly. But you know what? Like, they mean what they say. That's exactly what yep. they mean. That, And what's funny to me is, and you know, I grew up in a pretty like uh, moderately wealthy and white part of town, but I guess because I was a skateboarder from the time I was a kid, I just always had friends <laughs> of all different races. But whenever I see footage on TV of people around the world, They all look like Americans to me. Like I really don't mean that. Like as like some stupid like, you know, Statue of Liberty slogan or whatever. Like they all remind me of somebody I know. Like even if they're in Kazakhstan or whatever, they really look like American. I can't tell the difference between a human and an American. I just never have been able to, you know. Um, and so it's to me, it's just, just like I'm sure it it sounds to to people with uh, more melanin, and I'm sure as it sounds to this communist McLeod that like. Are you people insane to talk that way? Like, doesn't that sound like when you were a kid, like of all your friends, like the one of them that had the dumbest mom, like that's something she would have said or something like that. Like, yeah, you know, bombing Afghans is one thing, but bombing Ukrainians, why? They almost look human like us. What with their blonde hair and such where it's just, oh, you're killing me. But then so what does that really teach us? Right. That really does go to show. How much easier it has been to kill people in the Middle East and in Central Asia all this time, simply because they're browner. That really is what it is. You could throw in the religious difference helps make them, you know, more separate from us, I guess, in a way. Um, But you know, let's say, it's really embarrassing and sad, dude, isn't it? It's just, yeah, 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 and and, you know,
0: it's. I mean, it's not only embarrassing and sad and infuriating to what we have been doing for the last what 40 years, probably, but then just to lie to our faces about it. Like, not even not, not even just counting the the people that were actually being were demonizing and and lording literal tyranny and death and destruction over, but the yep. fact that they they covered it up and lied to our faces for our approval because they know 100 just like we're watching right now with ukraine and russia that if we're not on board they're not going to do it
1: right and look i I think that's a really important right on right there which is that you know um there's been studies done professional like real serious research that shows that public opinion is completely meaningless the government doesn't care what we think about anything you want policy to change you spend money on lobbyists who then spend money yep. on coke and prostitutes and state dinners for congressmen and regulators, and then you get your way. That's how it works. Give them money for the re-election campaign. That's how it works. But Fact. there's a big, huge caveat on that. To me, I'm certain of this, and that is war. Now, if you go yep. back to the aftermath of the Vietnam War, Casper Weinberger and Colin Powell under Ronald Reagan, Secretary of Defense and National Security Advisor. They had what became known as the Powell Doctrine. It started out as the Weinberger Doctrine. And essentially it said a few things, uh, but importantly, you have to have the entire American population united behind you to be in a war. And it's funny that you would even have to stipulate that, right, because if we were ever actually attacked by a foreign state in war, of course the American people would be united in it, right? So the whole premise of this thing is, essentially, if you want to start a war, you better make sure you got everybody scared enough to support the damn thing. You know what I mean? You better propagandize them good enough. But you got to have them united. Now, W. Bush, he also said, by the way, Weinberger and Powell said, you also have to have a really fast and good path to victory and an exit strategy. Right. So they threw all this garbage out the window with W. Bush's government, even though Powell was secretary of state at the time, they threw all this out, including that you have to have the American people united behind it. You just need to have the Republican voters of America united behind it, and you can do it. Now, it's harder to unite the Democrats because there is still a strong legacy of that post-Vietnam kind of new left movement, although Obama really silenced them. And Russiagate, really got and i'm not i don't mean the leftist but i mean the liberal democrat types the npr listener do, ladies of the world you do, know?
0: The, do those people and, still exist
1: oh yeah i, I don't sure mean it, do, i don't mean to
0: knock you knock you off track here but oh, i've been yeah. telling folks and i've been saying this for a while now that the uh there are no democrats left there are no liberals left right in the sense that we know them from legacy media. oh you know, man i, I wish, wish that,
1: that was true
0: I, but look, I like liberals. I'm a classic Tell me the good liberals. news. I'm listening.
1: I, go ahead. Oh well, it depends. I, okay. Let, let let we'll do semantics here for a second, okay? Because right, it's, right. it's it's difficult because you know people don't always mean the same thing with the way we use words and all that. Right. Exactly. So, That's my point. Yeah. So the the I mean, obviously, if you want to go back, real liberalism, especially all the way crystallized, would be libertarianism, which is individualism, property rights, freedom of speech and religion and a Republican form of government and all of this kind of stuff. Right. But, um, you know, modern liberalism has like sort of the free artistic expression aspect and that part of it. But otherwise it's essentially an extremely statist and conservative kind of ideology. That's why, you know, if you ask a leftist, leftists hate Democrats, leftists think that, Leftists Absolutely. think that liberals are right wingers. And they're yep. kind of right about that, right? Like, uh, in other words, like if you look at Bill or Hillary Clinton or look at Barack Obama or Joe Biden, um, you know, despite Obama's reputation and despite Hillary's reputation, I guess, um, but get to the reality of it, these are all right wing Democrats. These are essentially, and I don't mean like racially like Dixiecrats in that sense but they are all corporatist conservatives. They've made their peace with business and property rights and big business uh, a long time ago. Now, that doesn't make them libertarians in any way at all. It just means that they've made their peace with Wall Street, essentially. They've made their deal with the devil in the form of the military industrial complex and the Wall Street banks and all this corruption. But so to a leftist, that makes them right-wing capitalist property types, which is correct. Right. Yes. Um, Not that I'm arguing, you know, for the leftist point of view, but just from it for the sake of argument. Yeah. I talk to these people
0: all the time. You're spot on.
1: Yeah. So when I say a liberal, I guess I agree with you that, like, the kind of liberal you would want to see who's just like some nice lady who's like tolerant of other people's opinions or something. Right. That's just that doesn't exist at all. That essentially what a liberal is now is someone who has no principle whatsoever other than to support the Democratic Party. And they have no knowledge whatsoever other than what the center-left, you know, Democratic talking points of the day are. And they're completely stupid and they'll believe anything. But that does go for, you know, like, I don't know, 25 million women that drive home listening to NPR news every day. Well, and the men, too, I guess. I'm being especially sexist tonight, I guess. I'm thinking (laughs) of, like, you Uh, know... The average Hillary Clinton voter, right? Like, that's who they are, dude. They're these liberal women with their cats and their tote bags. And they think they're so damn smart. And they, you know, they live in the city, so they know everything and this kind of crap. And then, and yet they know nothing and they have no principle at all. And you can turn them from, you know, the daughter of uh, anti-Vietnam War protester into a pro-nuclear war with Russia hawk just by having the right idiot say it on their Facebook page. And they'll go right for it. So, you know, when when Obama came, when Bush was in, they were anti-war. When Obama came, they were silent. When Trump came, the CIA and the FBI totally co-opted them for the national security state because instead of Trump controlling the state, it was the state versus Trump. And the liberals sided with the state against Trump. And that meant especially the FBI and the CIA who were leading the cause. Remember, the charge was not that even just that Trump was a white supremacist, it was that He was an agent of the Kremlin of a foreign power. And we need our national security state to protect our country from our not really elected leader. But this guy who was installed by the Kremlin and all that. So who believed that liberals who debunked that leftists, right? You have people who hated (laughs) people who absolutely hated Donald Trump, who debunked that story because they were like, no, man, we hate the FBI and the CIA. And we don't believe lies when they tell them it just ain't persuasive. You know, and they saw right through it. A lot of really great principal leftists saw right through Russiagate. But the liberals, man, they'll never get over it. They bought into that thing so hard. And that's a huge part of why they're so terrified of Russia right now is because this is a guy. Like, think about it for a minute. Like, Just pretend hypothetically that you were one of these NPR tote bag ladies who listens to this stuff on the way home from work every day and really, really believed Right. First of all, had those sensibilities anyway in the first place. Right. So you're not you in her position, but you're you're her. Right. You're like one of these liberals. And they told you for years that this guy, Trump, he's not the same Trump you've seen on TV your whole life. He really is, first of all, like a Ku Klux Klan guy. And second of all is the and so not just some like really bad conservative, even like Dick Cheney, but he's like this total aberration. He's not he's not a billionaire from New York. Now he's a white supremacist from the backwoods of Alabama with a swastika on his chest <laughs> and whatever, I guess. And yeah. and and he was installed in power by the Kremlin in a stolen election. Like in a Hollywood movie. Like, again, remember now we're I'm not just saying like a story that is obviously a bunch of crap and saying people believed it. I'm asking you to pretend to believe that for a minute. Put yourself in the shoes of someone who was told this and, of course, believed that it was true because it was their heroes on NPR right. News, all things considered, telling them it was true every night kind of right, thing exactly. and got caught up in this thing. Go home watch Rachel Maddow. And imagine how scary that yeah. was for them to feel that way, that that was what had happened to their country and that it was that Putin that was behind it all. Now, you could tell them anything about Putin and they'd believe it. Hmm. You know, you could tell them the reason he does the things that he does, it's because he's evil. Yeah. And... He likes doing evil stuff. And they'll go, oh no, is he coming for us next? And they're just, they totally bought it. They're so hook, line, and sinker in it, you can never talk them out of it now. And so, yeah, I mean, and that could kill us all. I mean, that really could, that kind of stupidity and narrow-minded thinking and and just gullibility, essentially, could lead us into a war. I mean, it's deliberately designed to lead us into a Cold War. To prevent Trump from ending the Cold War was the purpose of it in the first place. And then now the question is, you know, can we have nuclear brinksmanship? Maybe we'll get another 45 years out of it, huh? Like last time and we'll sell a bunch of nukes and a bunch of subs and a bunch of long range bombers and cross your fingers. Nobody ever uses those H bombs. Don't worry. They probably won't. And but (laughs) but if you're in the long range bomber business, boy, is business booming. So
0: do you think that, um, that narrative that, which obviously we know now from, the uh, John Durham report. And we, we've known for a while. So we've known that this Russia collusion date was fake since uh, the Steele dossier was absolutely found out to be 100% fake. Do you think all of that narrative is why some of these um, leftist authoritarians or modern day liberals, I like how he called it, uh, Josh Umba, modern day liberals are actually lobbying for us to go to war with Russia,
1: which is absolutely insane. I do think it's part of it. I think, you know, I bet you could what you could do. In fact, somebody on my show suggested like a graduate student or someone should go and like do the actual research. Find and collect all of the quotes of the Democrats talking about Russia's policy in the East. And not just the Democrats, but like go further to like liberal types in the mainstream media too. Right. And see how many quotes you can find of these people talking about Russia's policy in Eastern Europe and then saying, after all. This is the same Putin who tried to rig our election elections and rig Brexit and rig the European Parliament and turn the power off in uh, in Vermont and install Rex Tillerson as secretary of state and whatever (laughs) all the crazy things that they believe. Right. So. So, yeah, I don't think that you can separate those things at all. It's like. I mean, uh, it's sort of crude analogy, but not really. It's like if you believe Iraq did 9-11. Like, check it out. We got all these reasons why we got to do a rock. But one of them is remember that time we were attacked? Well, he was in on that. So it's, it's you know, it's kind of it, the pump is primed, I guess, in people's minds. Right. That, like, so, oh man, these are the same guys that did that other thing, too, you know, whatever. And look, I don't know if you saw this, and I really don't know the full context. I mean, the way I heard it introduced, it's a grown man's voice. Maybe she really was just talking to children. There's this quote of Kamala Harris, and I don't—I honestly don't know what radio show she was on, or the exact context of this. But it sounds, at least the way it's presented, it sounds like she's just on like a regular morning talk radio show. What, what um, is like it? i will try to find it. Isle. You have it. I'm gonna try to find it right now. What is it? Oh, it's if you look at my Twitter feed. Go to Scott Horton's show. Here, I'll play the audio for it, man. I have it right here. All
0: right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull that up because I want to. I want to yeah, hear what's. Which...
1: Yeah, yeah, I can, I can dump this audio in here real easy. I think here, where are we at? Yes, with this I mean, yeah. Look, yeah, listen. It's pretty. Go ahead. Listen,
0: social media. You're seeing everything that's going on right now in the Ukraine. Break it down in layman's terms for people who don't understand what's going on and how. Yeah, con- so
1: there's your context right there. This is not for elementary school right. kids. Right. This is not. This is a regular radio show. The Morning Hustle. Oh, right oh, now in the morning, Ukraine. Yeah. Break it down in layman's terms
0: for people who don't understand what's going on and how can this directly affect the people of the United States.
1: So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So. Basically, that's wrong. If you're watching any level of... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Ukraine is a country. It exists next to another country called Russia. And Russia is bigger. <laughs> this, we are uh, that's serious of the United States. Joe Biden drops dead of a heart attack. She's the president of the United She's States. She's a heartbeat right away. Here. I mean, I mean that so like- is, Honestly, that is some W. Bush, like... Uh- <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be dumber than W. Bush, man. I, w. He, Bush was dumb, dumb, dumb. You know, Donald Trump has his problems mostly because I think he has, like, disorders, right? Like, he's got kind of like an attention deficit thing and some narcissistic yeah, personality narcissistic. disorder or whatever. But, like, if you could calm him down, give him some Adderall or something and give him an IQ test, he's still got, <laughs> like, a good 120-something, you know, kind of thing. Right, Maybe right. 130-something going on. He's okay. But, but you know he's got his problems but he's not yeah. just totally just completely lost yeah like cold toast you know but these people the w bush and this kamala harris is you know she makes joe biden look like a scholar and joe biden's always right? been absolutely the dumbest pile of rocks in the senate I and mean, this is the yeah, guy I mean, he's the- younger than john mccain he's always been you know it's pretty incredible because i talk about it all the time at least joe biden
0: has a freaking excuse in that he's 476 years old and has dementia. Yeah. There is no excuse for how stupid and dumb Kamala Harris is. And look, I that's actually this kind of, these kind of things and these kind of actions being displayed on the world stage by the most powerful, uh, office and administration in the yeah. world. That's why I let off with asking you, do you think that the botched Afghanistan pullout, uh, emboldened, uh, putin to do what he's doing right now and look even if he did even if he wasn't emboldened by the afghanistan thing i think it's pretty clear since he invaded ukraine during bush he invaded or i'm sorry not ukraine but he invaded in general during bush same with obama all of a sudden he stopped for four years and now he's invading on a
1: mm, mass well no, that, in Ukraine. that no 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 that's not really no, right I'm i mean wrong okay no, I mean, America, he didn't invade anything under Bush. I mean, when, when America yeah, was attacked that. on September 11th, Vladimir Putin was the first foreign leader to call Bush and say, I'm at your service. And for the entire time we fought the war in Afghanistan, he was on America's side there. From the very beginning, provided the northern route what? through Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and their airspace what? and their bases to uh, to help us with that war. We were the ones who switched sides in the war in Afghanistan, not them. So they are more than happy to help us fight on their side of the war, why do you think Putin?
0: Yeah, why do you think Putin was so willing to jump on our, quote unquote, jump on our side? Did, well, I, it was he wanted to make friends. friends. He wanted
1: to take the opportunity to get cozy with Bush and try to, wow. you know, head off conflict. But see, now I know this is a big ask, but I'll just let you people know that if you go to my YouTube channel um, slash Scott Horton Show, I just posted a two-hour-long speech. That I gave at a Libertarian Party event in Utah, where I explained the whole history nice. here. But to sum it up for you, real quick: Bill Clinton, W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden. And by the way, Joe Biden all along, because he was in the Senate and he was the Vice President, and uh, he right. was out of there for just a minute, <laughs> and now he's the president. So when I say when I say um, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden, Biden gets an asterisk he was from the beginning to end this is all of their fault they all yeah. did this and here's what yeah. it is and and some of them played different roles in this but it's essentially one through line of the same policy right they expanded the nato alliance east of germany against george h w bush's promises that yep, they would exactly. not do so they tore up the nuclear the extremely important nuclear treaties first of all the anti ballistic missile treaty and the, international, uh, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty. And that means that they could install uh, anti-missile missile launchers in Poland, but those same dual-use launchers can be used to launch Tomahawk cruise missiles tipped with H-bombs. Right. And now we tore up the INF Treaty that keeps us from putting Tomahawk missiles tipped with H-bombs in Poland. Now, and then they also brought in, you know, and the NATO expansion includes the Baltics, and it also includes a promise that Bush made in 2008, in April, 2008, the Bucharest declaration promising to bring Ukraine and Georgia into NATO. Um, mm, yep. And then they also is. did what's called the color-coded revolutions, which are just coup d'etats disguised as revolutions over disputed elections and this kind of thing that they did in all different nations near Russia or you know, in their near abroad and any government that was essentially loyal or, or friendly to them. So, for example, they overthrew the government of um, Serbia in 2000, of Georgia in 2003. In 2005, they tried it in Tajikistan in, um, oh, I skipped, I'm sorry, the Orange Revolution in Ukraine in 2004. In 2005, they did Tajikistan, Belarus, uh, which failed. Tajikistan was short-lived, but happened for a minute. Um, Belarus failed, the denim revolution there. And then they tried the Cedar revolution in Lebanon. Um, And then in 2009 under Obama, the green revolution in Iran, which is not so much an ally of Russia, but it's the same kind of template. Um, And then they overthrew the government of Ukraine for the second time in 10 years in 2014. And they thought it was going to be easy and they thought it was going to be fine, but it was a total catastrophe. They used a bunch of Hitler loving Nazis to do a violent street push in the street. And I know people are sick and tired of hearing other people called Nazis, but let me tell you something. I don't mean they were to the right of the communists. Okay. I mean, these guys are Hitler loving Nazis. They're literally the proud grandsons of the Galatian SS that participated in the Holocaust and fought under Hitler and Himmler in world war two. Okay. That's who they are. They worship Bandera. Uh, as their, you know, idol, who was a guy who worked for Hitler and helped precipitate the Holocaust or, you know, participate in the Holocaust there against Poles and Jews. So, you know, when we say you can't even call them neo-Nazis. I mean, these are Nazis, man. Um, Yeah, that's why Putin keeps saying
0: that one of his main goals is a denazification.
1: That's right. And now, look, uh, to be real clear, because people try to, you know, maybe they they try to overstate what I'm stating and sort of straw man it or whatever. I'm not saying that the government that America installed in that coup was a Nazi government. It just had a bunch of Nazis in it. Right. But, you know, but, you know, the leader of it, Jatsun who they installed as prime minister, was not a Nazi. But the Speaker of the Parliament, Andre Perubi, was. And it right. was a bunch of Nazis who did the violent street push and put them in power. So that was a real thing. And that they didn't get away with it easy. It wasn't simple. Same as what always happens is the thing blew up in their face. And the Russians seized the Crimean Peninsula back from Ukraine, even though they've been happy to lease it from an independent Ukraine for 23 years up until Obama's government pushed the issue here. And by the way, we know that Biden was in on this coup, by the way, for a fact. um, And that, you know, it was his office that ran the damn thing at the time. And um, and then what happened was in the far east of the country, in the region they call the Donbass, which is the provinces of Donetsk and Luhansk. Right. They said, well, listen, if you guys can seize a bunch of government buildings and overthrow our democratically elected president, well, we can seize a bunch of government buildings and just refuse to accept your authority here in the east of the country. So in the far east of the country. Right. So Kiev immediately declared war and attacked their own people. They called it a war on terrorism and invaded the east Ah. of the country. The new coup d'etat did. It was a horrible war in 2014 and 15." And the whole time they lied, went, oh, Russia's invaded Ukraine. Russia's invaded Ukraine over and over, all through 2014 and 15. It was never true. What happened was they sent their special operations forces across to help the people of the East defend themselves from Kiev's onslaught. But that was it. They never did invade. They never sent an armored division. They never took territory that whole time. And then finally, in 2015, the people of Donbass voted to join the Russian Federation and Putin told them no. He didn't want them to. Because he has just signed a deal or was about to sign a deal with the Germans and the French. And in fact, you know, Angela Merkel and Francois Holland came to the United States to meet with Obama to tell him, we're going over there to make a deal with Putin right now. Just letting you know, OK, have a nice day. And then they went and got on their plane. And I guess he <laughs> shrugged and told them, fine, go ahead at that point. They went and got on a plane and hammered out this deal. It was Minsk one. And then they did Minsk two as the city in Belarus where they uh, made the deal. And so that reduced the level of fighting from absolute catastrophe to still pretty damn bad and low level fighting that's been taking place in the far east of this of the country the whole time. Now, Obama, who was the first black president ever to support a Nazi coup d'etat in Ukraine, he knew that he'd done so. And he knew that he was pushing his luck. And so he sent them trucks and blankets and MREs and I guess some trainers too, but he wouldn't send them weapons. But Donald Trump came in and again, remember, it's almost just incredible just to think about it. It's crazy that, you know, they framed this man for treason with Russia. And so, and the reason why, I mean, there are a bunch of reasons why, but one of the reasons was because he said he wanted to get along with Russia. And they did not want that to happen. So when they accused him of it, I mean, it is just Donald Trump we're talking about here. So his idea was, well, I'll just give a bunch of weapons to Ukraine and that'll prove that I'm not in bed with the Russians. And that was, I'm sure, what his advisors told him to do. And in fact, there's at least one quote, I should really hunt down and find this. I keep forgetting to do it. But I know that there's really one quote, at least, of Trump Jr. saying that, well, we're giving all these weapons to Ukraine. You can't call us Russian puppets now. Um, So this was working on them. In fact, you know, the FBI told CNN, listen, if we can't remove Donald Trump in the name of the 25th Amendment for being a Russian puppet and all this stuff on the Steele dossier, P-tape lies and all this, well, at least we can launch this special investigation to, this is their words, quote, rein him in, meaning prevent him Uh From having his own foreign policy when it comes to Russia to prevent him from saying, as he said, let's get along with Russia. Let's sit down and get along with Vladimir Putin. And he just was never had the intelligence or the friends and and, uh, associates and reliable people in his government that he could count on to, you know, steer him through all this. So what did he do? He ended up stepping up arms to Ukraine crazy. I mean, Obama wouldn't do it at all. Trump sent him tons of trucks. And Javelin missiles, which are a step above a tow missile, if you're familiar right. with the weapons that they gave to Al-Qaeda in Syria, are these shoulder-fired or tripod-fired anti-tank missiles that are wire-guided. Um, and so the Javelin is, I guess, radio-guided or laser-guided or something. Um, right. And so it makes it much more effective. Uh, but it's still a single-man shoulder-fired rocket uh, to use to take out armor. And, and then, so they've been dumping all this stuff into Ukraine. And so this is like the final straw. And oh, and then Biden also completely had stepped up uh, the naval air force, uh, the naval and air force presence in the black and Baltic and Oshtok seas. That's in the far east, north of Japan there. And uh, the Baltic Sea, of course, in the north and the Black Sea uh, there above Turkey there uh, where the Crimean Peninsula is and all that. And flying our bombers trying to be real cute, 12 and a half miles off of their coast. So we're still technically in international airspace, but flying our nuclear bombers and and constantly to test their radar defenses and all of this. Then Putin comes out and look, I'm not making the case for war here. I'm just making right, the right, case right. for how the Americans pushed him into doing it, essentially. Um, you know, like if I if I walk up and punch you in the face and you shoot me, then to say that, well, Scott did punch him in the face doesn't justify you <laughs> killing me. Right. But it does explain what happened before you killed me. That's all. You know what right. I mean? That's a yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. crappy analogy. Sorry for making you a murderer, but you understand what I mean here. <laughs> no, you so that's what's going on, right? It's, you know The um, the context is America pushed our sphere of influence way, way, way far east of where it ever has been or should was, be. Yeah, it should and have been. And the Russians said, look, man, you guys are pushing your luck and you're pushing your luck and you're pushing your luck. And, you know, I asked a guy on my show named Lyle Goldstein, who's at Defense Priorities, but he was at the Naval War College up until just a few months ago. And he was, a, wow. you know, a defense intellectual studies other people's militaries and politics and whatever to predict war. Real high level thinking guy, man. Talked to him a few right. times. Great writer. And I said, well, what changed, man? Why does Trump want to take the Donbass now when they voted to join the Russian Federation in 2015? As I said, he did have that Minsk two deal. They were working on at the time and all that, right. the, I guess maybe they were already under Minsk one by then. Um, But uh, he said what he thought changed was America tried to overthrow the government in Belarus last year. Oh, and when they did that one, remember the one where it was like the wife of the dissident and they were all trying yep. to prop her up and say, she needed to get in there and overthrow this. Lukashenko. So Goldstein says, "Man, in Moscow, the argument was, all right, that's it. You see how it goes? You see how these Americans are? They're just relentless. They won't stop." And this mm-hmm. is Putin's entire argument for his invasion of Ukraine is the right. communists let Ukraine go, which in his mind they never should have done when they let it go. But then they would have he's claiming, I think believably if you look at his track record here, up until now, they would have been willing to leave good enough alone. But America and its allies were not. And no one was allowed. No one was willing to just let Ukraine be independent. We had to take Ukraine away from them. And I swear I keep doing interviews and people keep saying, well, why can't Ukraine choose to join the West if they want? Well, how come America can't respect the results of their elections when they have them? We keep overthrowing, in the name of democracy, we overthrow the democratically elected president, the same guy, Yanukovych, twice in 10 years, for having the temerity to not have a pro-Western policy. Then when we do a coup and install a sock puppet, and the sock puppet wants to come over, then that's, quote-unquote, Ukraine wants to join the West— I mean, enough of this, man. People just believe whatever they're told without even knowing where Ukraine is. They go, come on, Scott, Ukraine just wants to join the West. Yeah, well, some of them do, some of them don't. How about that? And how about they're so close to a nation state sitting on 6,000 nukes that I don't give a damn what they want. Right. Right. How in the world could it be justified for our politicians to get us into a border dispute 7,000 miles east of our country? One meter west of theirs.
0: That's incredible. Let me ask you, then. um, That that was absolutely brilliant. and Fantastic rant right there. Thank you so much. I freaking love it. Now you know, absolutely. That's amazing. You want Let the full score? I got a two-hour
1: version of it at slash Scott Horton's show right now.
0: Perfect plug. Yep. I'll re- I'll try to go over there and uh or I'll go over in the Twitter feed and retweet that. And fall asleep listening to it tonight. <laughs> I won't. No, I love this stuff because I'm a veteran. Okay. So here's my military uh background, not background, but the reason that I try to stay out of you know, typically stay out of foreign affairs is because I know 100% that I don't have the full story, right? I don't have the intelligence on the ground. I don't have the intelligence that the government has. Um, You do a lot more research on this stuff than I do. I'm just now starting all of this, really. So in saying all that, let's cut right to the heart of it. Why is it, do you think, that Putin wanted to do this, knowing the consequences for not just the ukrainians and even pro-russia ukrainians but the consequences for his country the sanctions that clearly aren't deterring him at all but why why do you think
1: and that's it just look he gave two speeches on february the 21st and the 24th you can go find them on the internet and read them for yourself yeah and i just take his word for it man there's no reason in the world to think that he's lying about his motivation when he rants for an hour about this is my motivation you You know, yeah. He's yeah. mad as hell. He's he's getting some things off of his chest and he's letting you know it's on. And you know, in 2018, uh he gave a speech debuting his nuclear weapons, his new nuclear weapons. He claimed to have a new heavy rocket that can go around the South Pole and kill every city in Texas with one missile, with the multiple wow. independently targetable re-entry vehicles there. Um, he claimed to have a nuclear-powered cruise missile that could essentially have unlimited range, could fly around the world, could go anywhere it wanted and evade any defenses. Um, He claimed to have a new nuclear torpedo, nuclear-powered torpedo and H-bomb that is dead silent and can uh, destroy, of course, any of our port cities. Um, And he claimed to have uh, what am I missing? Something else before hypersonic gliders. I'm sorry, I'm leaving yeah, that one. Hypersonic. But at the end is yeah, the hypersonic gliders that go at least Mach 5. Uh he claims, right. uh, maybe Mach six or seven. And he said in the, at the end of this thing, he was very proud of his men for coming up with this stuff. And this was his big debut. He goes through it's about a 20-minute thing. In fact, you could type into YouTube, uh Putin New Nukes 2018, and you can see it's like a three-hour speech, but you can see somebody exerted just that part of the speech. And you can watch, it's about 18, 20 minutes long, I think. And you could tell he's just as proud and mad as hell as he says all this. And somewhere in there, he says directly to the Americans, I told you to listen. I told you to listen. And I told you, and I told you, I told you. Well, can you hear me now? That's this guy's attitude. It's like, look, man. I'm just asking you to be reasonable. I'm not asking you to be unreasonable. I'm asking you to be reasonable. And you act like you can't even hear me. Well, guess what? I have a new rocket and I can kill El Paso and San Angelo and Dallas and Fort Worth and Waco and Austin and Corpus Christi and Houston and Galveston and Port Arthur all at once. Can you hear me now?
0: And they still ain't listening.
1: And they went, oh, yeah, he's bragging about a bunch of crap that probably doesn't even work and blah, 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 blah was their answer. So then he said, listen, man. In fact, in this speech the other day, he goes through the flight times. I love this. You turn on TV and they go, Putin, he's a madman. He's a psychopath. He's having a midlife crisis. He's got Parkinson's disease. He wants to be a czar. He wants to be a communist. He wants to take over the world. He's a big, big, very, very mean, mean, very, very bad man. And he says he has security concerns. What's a security concern? That's not true. That's just cover for his naked imperial ambition. Well, then you turn to his speech and he goes, if the Americans installed the new mid-range missile that they're working on in Kharkiv, its flight time to Moscow would be five and one half minutes. And if they installed the Tomahawk cruise missile there, then its flight time would be 10 minutes. And if they installed a hypersonic missile there, its flight time, oh, I said five first. It was start out 15 or 20, then 10. And if they installed a hypersonic missile system there in Kharkiv in Ukraine, its flight time to Moscow could be less than five minutes, which is like a knife to the throat. And we simply will not tolerate allowing this land to become part of somebody else's military alliance and sphere of influence. Now, it's true that we were not actually in the middle of bringing them into the NATO alliance, but as he accused it, and I think quite credibly in his speeches, that we were de facto bringing them into into NATO, we were arming the hell out of them, and we were, as he put it, integrating their armed forces under our armed forces command and all of these things. So... As they say over and over again, you can't make security uh, you know, decisions based on promises, especially when those promises are obvious lies. Right. right and now look, right. man, I got to tell you, and I can see there's like people commenting and I can't read them because it's too small and too fast and I'm in the middle of no, talking. So I can't, <laughs> but I, I'm just going to assume that they're mad as hell and call me a traitor. So just for the no. sake of argument. So let me just explain here real quick so that people do understand. I'm a Texan, okay, and an American. I've been to Nuevo Laredo and to Vancouver, BC. I've never been even to the old world at all. I don't have any special affinity for David Koresh or Saddam Hussein or the Ayatollah Khamenei or Muammar Gaddafi or Bashar al-Assad or the Houthis uh, in Yemen or the Afghan Taliban or uh, Chairman Xi in China or President Vladimir Putin in Russia. I don't give a damn about any of them. I don't give a right. damn about their countries, frankly. Like, I mean, I like people. Don't get me wrong. I would be sad if anything happened to anyone. I'm not saying that. But right. I just mean what, you know, their security concerns are not my security concerns, other than right. the fact that my government makes them into my security concerns. When you're picking a fight with Russia, as they do, you're picking a fight with a power that can quite literally kill our entire civilization within the space of just a couple of hours. They could kill yep. every major city in this country and every one of our military assets all around the world and everything else that they wanted to do if it ever really came down to it. It's the most important issue facing humanity is Americans' relationship with Russia. There's just nothing more important than that. And we've almost uh, gone to nuclear war something like 20 times. You have no idea how close we've come to general uh, nuclear war with the Russians. Of uh, You know, there's the obvious thing like the Cuban Missile Crisis, but then you have terrible misunderstandings like Abel Archer and the exercises in 1983. And then you have just complete accidents like the Norwegians launch a rocket. And they told the Russians they were about to, but the Russians lost it in the chain of telephone game communication. And they thought it was an incoming nuke. And they almost killed the whole world because they mistook a rocket. The Americans almost nuked North Carolina. They dropped a bomb on North Carolina accidentally, where eight of the nine fail-safes failed. And if the ninth had failed, it would have been an H-bomb over North Carolina, which of course they would have blamed on Russia rather than admitting their mistake. They would have killed humanity before they admitted that it was their stupid accident. So (sighs) this can happen. And so tensions should be dialed way, way back down to DEFCON ten. We can't yeah. fight Russia. We shouldn't be anywhere near. When, the, when the president look, put the shoe on the other foot. That's what Ron Paul would say. Ron Paul, go look. What if I'll use my analogy because I think he always uses uh, the Chinese in Mexico, but I like what if the Russians were in Canada, and the Russians did two coups d'états in ten years. you know, violent ones. This is the second time a violent one, including neo-Nazis on the street to cease the the buildings and run the elected government out of power in Ottawa. And then they immediately started talking about joining Russia's military alliance, the Warsaw Pact, and kicking America out of our naval bases in Alaska. And then when the people of Vancouver, BC said, screw this, we're not going to respect the power of the new coup d'etat junta, then they declared war on British Columbia and killed 15,000 people in Vancouver. And then they started talking about regime change in Washington, D.C. next. Now, what do you think the United States of America would do about that? Right. And the answer, of course, is general nuclear war. Right. We wouldn't, but we expect that Vladimir Putin, who supposedly is the world's most dangerous psychopath since Stalin died, I guess, worse I don't than think Mao. It's a psychopath. The most the most dangerous guy since Hitler. We think that we can just sit there and do any and everything we want and take Russia's Canada away from them and bring them into our military sphere of influence, not just political sphere, not just Mm -hmm. join the EU, but bring them into our military alliance. And no matter how many times the Russians say, listen, man, I will destroy Ukraine before I allow you to integrate it into your military alliance. You do understand that. We just ignore it. You can read it in the WikiLeaks, by the way, Julian Assange is still rotting in solitary confinement in a dungeon in the uh, British uh, in uh, the UK at Joe Biden's behest for bringing us this information. But you can read it. Our current secretary, uh, our current CIA director, Robert Burns, warned to Rice in 2008. Yet means yet. And the Russians say, if we try to bring Ukraine and Georgia into NATO, that they absolutely will not allow it, that they can see all the problems coming from from that happening and that they will have to do whatever it takes to prevent that from happening. That was Sergei Lavrov being very diplomatic and threatening war right then. And in 2014, Vladimir Putin told an Italian diplomat on the subject of Ukrainian integration into NATO that, you know, we could be in Kiev in two weeks. So they made wow. themselves very clear that was eight years ago that they said look man we will invade and conquer ukraine before we let you integrate it into your thing dude right. over and over and over again now that doesn't mean right. that when they invade and conquer ukraine it's great or justified at all and in fact i think they could have held their horses and figured out another way maybe somehow but i'm not justifying right. what they did i don't think it was reasonable them to conquer the country but i do think it was rational for them to. and i do think that if you or your audience go and read vladimir putin's statements you will see that as angry as he is that they are almost purely substantive in their construction and complaint you don't get a bunch of analogies and a bunch of crappy metaphors straightforward yeah he goes and he blames the communists too he goes like this he says first of all lenin drew the borders of Ukraine in a screwy place where the Donbass wasn't part of Russia anymore, and now it was part of Ukraine. Well, that was screwy in the first place. That was Vladimir Lenin. Then comes Nikita Khrushchev after Stalin dies, and Khrushchev comes and gives Crimea to Ukraine, even though it belonged to Russia since 1783, the same year that we made peace with the British at the end of the American Revolution. Um, and he did that for political reasons to solidify his power Uh, in in rising to the top after Stalin died. Then he blames Gorbachev because Gorbachev not only dissolved the Warsaw Pact and let all the Eastern European states go like Poland and Romania, but he also let the so-called republics go, the Soviet republics. And that, pardon me, that meant the uh, Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, as well as Belarus and Ukraine and he let Mm. them go too. And then Putin essentially says, okay, so this is the situation as we inherited it, right? I mean, he came to power 10 years after the fall of Soviet communism. We come into power, Ukraine is independent. Okay, so how's it gonna go? And how it goes is, America rules Kiev from Washington DC as a puppet client state, which is just true. I mean, he might as well be saying that up is up and gravity is heavy, man. You know, like, yeah,, yeah, yeah what do you exactly. it's true. So um he says, well, that's intolerable, which is just exactly the same as what the Americans would say about a Russian attempt to dominate Canada in this way, or a Chinese attempt to integrate Mexico into their sphere of influence in this way. And we have the Monroe Doctrine. If you're familiar, one hundred and ninety nine years ago, President James Monroe in eighteen twenty three warned the European powers, the era of colonialism in the Americas is over and whatever colonies you have now you can keep, but you're not gonna come and take over anybody who's already won their independence and you're not gonna come over here and make any more colonies or you'll have to mess with us. But he also said, and we promise to stay out of Europe and we promise to recognize any government in power there as de facto the legitimate one and none of our damn business and to pursue friendly relations with all. And they just completely ignore that and pretend that the entire world is our sphere of influence. When this is the middle part of North America, I mean, if you're familiar with a globe at all, right? You look at Eurasia (laughs) and you go, "Wait a minute! So all of this is our business? (laughs) Like, is there any limit to it?" And then look at the debt. You go, well, like e- even if we could afford it, this is bad for our liberty and all this. Yeah, well, you can stop right there, pal, because we can't afford it. Right. The national right. debt, depending on how you count it, is 20 to 30 trillion dollars. Inflation's through the roof, you know, um, and 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 people are homeless and hungry at unprecedented levels at the height of the bubble. Just yeah. wait till the next crash. You think people are miserable now. And that crash no, is we can't coming. Afford it. And no, war is not good for the economy. This is killing us. Right. Empire is murder-suicide. And so we got to just knock it off, man. Yeah. We have to.
0: Let me ask you this. Does the situation between Ukraine and Russia ultimately lead to U.S. involvement? Like, real, are we, we going to go to war with mm-hmm. Russia?
1: I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think here's the way that balances out in my mind. The Russian military is just far more powerful than the Ukrainian one and they're brave and they'll fight and they got, you know, civilians will support them and all that. But if it really comes down to it, the Ukrainian military will be crushed in relatively short order. Remember, it took America three weeks to beat, to invade and conquer Baghdad. You know, Baghdad didn't fall till April the 9th of 2003. The war, the invasion began on March 16th. So that's a solid three weeks, maybe a little more than three weeks for the Americans even to take Baghdad. So um, as I said, Putin said, he thinks he can be in Kiev in two weeks. They say that now about one week into this, that they have this massive armored column rolling into uh, an area just north of Kiev, preparing to take the capital city. So yep.
0: yeah, 40 my fervent long.
1: hope, my, my fervent hope, frankly, is that Zelensky will just surrender right now and negotiate on more or less Russia's terms. They're reasonable enough. And let's just get real. They are in no yeah. position of strength to dispute right. it. I mean, Zelensky didn't play his cards right. He just spent the last few months begging Biden to go to Moscow and make a deal. You know, instead, America said, Yeah, let's you and him go fight, knowing that Russia can kick the Ukrainian military's ass. And man, if you go to my Twitter now, It's just speculation, I admit it. I said it's an inference and an implication and all of these kinds of words. So I'm not claiming to know a fact, but I'm just reading the tea leaves the way they talk about this now. I'm really starting to believe that they wanted this to happen. And they keep saying, oh, we're gonna inflict such heavy costs on the Russians and we're gonna back, we're training all these soldiers and uh, frankly, a lot of these neo-Nazi militias to stay behind in Ukraine and fight against the Russians and all of this. Uh, Which was that was their old program the stay behind program supporting right wing militias throughout Europe in the event that the Soviets invaded Western Europe, that they would have these right wing groups left behind to fight them. So that's where that comes from. And I don't know if you saw this rant by Hillary Clinton on MSNBC, but man, it is magnificent. It is just something to behold. And, you know, frankly, I hate her voice so much that I was really reluctant to click on it. I just kind of like read some of the quotes out of it, but it's really long. And they just let her go. I mean, she's Hillary Clinton, so they don't interrupt her. They don't have a light. It's like, hey, lady, you sure you really want to be saying all this? You know what I mean? Like, there's no alert to shut her up. There's no one with a cane to, like, drag her off stage. So she just goes on and on and on and on about how, man, we could really do this up like we did Afghanistan in the 80s. We bog them down and bleed them and support all these terrorists. And, man, I swear to God, this is true. People go and check. You could watch this video myself, okay? She's making a point about trying to replicate Afghanistan in Ukraine now and luring the Russians in, bogging them down, bleeding them to bankruptcy and all this. Right. So she doesn't want to, it's understandable that she didn't want to like get distracted on the tangent here. But the way she handled the tangent, man, was just something to behold. She says, she goes on and on about Afghanistan. She goes, of course, this led to some unintended consequences. <laughs> of course. But anyway, and then on to, we, but we could do that in Ukraine. And blah blah blah, we'll bog them down. Yeah. We'll send in arms, and she goes on and on another four minutes of blabbing about it. After that, Remarkable. but then in that in that shrug of hers, is you can fit not just twenty but thirty years of the terrorist war against the United States and the United States war against the terrorists, and oftentimes for them. And you know when she was sworn into power as Vice president, sorta, they called her, they called him Billary at the time that she had Billory. more influence yeah. than Al Gore did.
0: <laughs> um,
1: when she was sworn in as first lady in 2003 as co-president, maybe I should say, instead of right. vice, right? Um, uh, it was one month and a week later that the World Trade Center bombing happened. That was uh, 29 years ago, just last Saturday. Okay. Wow. The 26th of February and only six people died sorry to say only because they were That was a big deal to those families but the point is they almost they really did almost succeed in toppling one tower over into the other and the engineers said if they had only parked their truck in that basement 30 or 40 feet closer to the retaining wall one tower would have toppled into the other tower broken at the bottom and they would have both fallen over instead yeah. of down. And, that, of that. and and at five o'clock in the afternoon. So if you just have, if this happens on your watch and you can use your imagination at all, then right. forget September 11th. Just imagine, hey boss, we we really came within a hair's breadth of losing 20,000 New Yorkers today, right? Yeah. And so that being the case, maybe we need to take this seriously. Well, what they do? They supported these terrorists the next year in Bosnia, in 19, starting in 1994 and into 1995. They kept supporting the terrorists anyway. They supported them in Chechnya in the war against the Russians, and they supported them in Kosovo, the Kosovo Liberation Army, in the war in Serbia in 1999 to install these guys in power then. So the Bill Clinton government, even though it wasn't just the First World Trade Center bombing, but it was also they attacked Uh, They tried to blow up a hotel in Yemen in 92. They uh, killed American uh, soldiers who were training the Saudi National Guard in 95. They blew up the Kobar Towers and killed 19 American airmen in 96. They blew up the African embassies in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, Nairobi, Kenya in 1998. They blew up the USS Cole in the year 2000. Bill Clinton's backing them the whole time. Sometimes he shoots missiles at their empty training camps, right? Um, And then this is Hillary's husband. Right. This is her little. Huh? And then there were some unintended consequences. Yeah. The terrorists yeah. turned into anti-American terrorists. They attacked us all through the 1990s. But we thought it would be cute and funny to keep backing them anyway. Knowing that what's the worst that could happen. Wow. Then the worst that could happen happens in New York where she's a senator again. Huh? Yeah. There were some unintended consequences. Yeah. 3,000 dead right in downtown Manhattan where her people that she supposedly represented in the U.S. Senate were slaughtered. (laughs) Yeah, we just chuck that up to a chuckle. And then what happened? Then she voted for the war on terrorism and for the war in Iraq. And then uh, which, you know, the war in Afghanistan, as horrible as it was, you know, the consequences didn't seem to spread out in too many ways right. except into Pakistan. It did spread into Pakistan? It was horrible there. They wished another further drone war there. Once she became Secretary of State, she was in on that. She was in on the giant Afghan surge. Then, when the the terrorist veterans, the bad guy veterans of Iraq War II, which which uh, was the absolute catastrophe of a war, when they came home to Libya and Syria. She took their side, and this led to the rise of the Islamic State Caliphate. She was the Secretary of State at the time. This was her policy yes, to support yep, the yep, jihadists to try to overthrow Assad, which led to the rise of the Caliphate, and then Iraq War Three, which also includes in eastern Syria, to destroy all of that. And, and so at the end of this, you're talking 2 million dead, $10 trillion wasted, 7,000 American soldiers killed, 50,000 maimed, 30,000 of them. People might want to plug their ears for this. I'll give you a minute to plug your ears, everybody. 30,000 of them have killed themselves. So it's coming oh, home God. from these wars, Okay. And and this is Hillary Clinton goes, ah blah, blah, blah. But anyway, what we could do is we could do that again. We'll back a bunch of Nazis as stay behind forces against the Russians. As though the Russians are the red USSR. But they're not. It's just Putin with his red, white, and blue flag and his Christian religion and his conservative politics and his business relationships. He's a carbon copy of the Americans. Maybe that's why they hate him so much. They see themselves in him.
0: You know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I see that. I see that a lot with uh, when it comes down to toxicity within politics and really kind of anything. A lot of self-projection towards the people that they hate i see that uh really bad from the progressive authoritarian of the left is they, they claim that everything that they hate they're the ones that are doing it so but we only got about uh about two minutes left scott does china invade taiwan
1: oh man i sure hope not i'm so afraid that if they do that the democrats will feel like they have to act all tough I don't know if anybody's got a good source in the Navy and the Pentagon right now to talk about, you know, in-depth about this.
0: Well, I heard there was I'm a afraid. leak. I'm afraid. Go ahead. I heard there was a, uh, yeah, sorry. I heard there was a quote-unquote leaked, which we both know that the CCP does not allow anything to be leaked from the Chinese press. So this was on purpose, that the Chinese government, the CCP, told their press that we need to make sure that we are... Appearing pro Russia during this time, so that when it, um, when we have to wrestle with the United States over ending this Taiwan dispute once and for all, which, unlike Ukraine, Taiwan has always been a part of China.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know about that leak. I'd have to look at that. Um, I think Ukraine, I mean, Russia and China have, you know, pretty much parallel claims to these countries the way they are, you know, somewhat legitimate from one point of view, but not so much by another and all that, but it's been American official policy for 50 years. It's one China. Taiwan has belonged to China since the 1600s, not the 1700s. And um, our policy has been, it's one China. We hope they're reunified peacefully, but we do hope they're reunified. That's our policies for them to be reunified someday hopefully under an amicable handshake type of an arrangement that they can swing. So, um, you know, let us pray there's not a war and a bunch of people killed, but more to the point, the American people need to understand that if China does invade and take Taiwan, even like worst case scenario, the bloodiest fashion, and it's really hard and it takes them three months and a bunch of people die and it's horrible. That that doesn't mean that now, next, they're going to invade Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, and then Japan and South Korea, and next, Australia, take over Indonesia and recreate the Japanese empire over there, and all this stuff. Like, this is all just fantasy stuff. And people, even I hear, you know, right wingers say that they're afraid that China will invade the United States of America. Like, look, man, you just don't understand geography, dude. That's just not one of the risks. That's not one of our risks for the next 300 years until somebody drains the ocean and. We we invent you know like Futurama suction tubes to right. take everyone around and we're dealing in a whole different world, man. Um, it just couldn't possibly be. They're no threat right. to us. And so again, even worst case way, you know, if they if they wage a war against uh, Taiwan to reincorporate Taiwan in the most violent fashion, it still doesn't mean they're coming to Tokyo. So we need to just right. let the Taiwanese know that we're not coming to help you. And so you need to pipe down and be nice and try your best to negotiate a solution to this yourself without the delusion that America's got your back. Because otherwise, what are we really talking about here, man? We're talking about trading Honolulu for Taipei. And then we lose Taipei anyway, right? right? Taipei ends up going to China anyway. Only now everybody's covered in radioactive soot. And what do we get out of it? A couple of aircraft carriers on the bottom of the Pacific, 7,000 sailors drowned, some kind of madness. And then what would happen? Imagine we lose one carrier. What's a Democrat especially going to do? You know, he's got to act tough, got to act muscular. Can't let nobody get away with a thing like that. Even if he's the one who sailed them right into harm's way, he's going to say, no, 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 man. And then at that point, see, man, one of the major kind of phenomenons of our era right now is the invention of these usable nuclear weapons. You know, a bomb is a bomb is a bomb in the mind of a general but it was like the university of chicago guys who were like no see there's a you could have a, a um a massive um you know imaginary 500 kiloton conventional bomb would not be as bad as setting off a 250 <laughs> kiloton atom bomb right? right because just when you're talking about fission and fusion it's this taboo being this line being crossed this is something we don't do anymore America did it twice, but nobody else is. And, and also they nuked Nevada and the American people over and over and over again, probably causing millions of cancers. Um, so of course our own worst enemy is our own security force. No question Absolutely. about that. But, but, no but they, don't, they don't bomb other countries with these things. We don't want to start that. We don't want to get to where like, look, man, it's just another bomb. And we have these new dial-a-yield nukes where you can, you know, with the button on the side of the thing, Determine how many kilotons you want it to detonate at. So then it's very easy for a military man to say to a politician, look, it's just a little one. It's just a very not even a tactical nuke. Hell, boss, this thing goes off with a fifth of the power of what we used to call tactical nukes. You know, we Mm -hmm. call these fun size nukes be just fine. So. You see these kind of arguments, and then they started deploying them. I mean, they have them on um, Trident submarines right now. They've got these new dial yield usable nuclear missiles. And so they increase the risk that they'll set off all the big ones by making it easier to use one of the small ones. And that's the world that we're living in, man. I'm telling you, it's run by politicians. Imagine giving an H-bomb to Bill Clinton or Donald Trump. Or yeah. W. Bush or Joe Biden. Hey, man, here's an H-bomb. Hold on to this for me. I'm sure you'll be very responsible with it. Right. Does that sound right to you at all? No. It's crazy. No. That's what we're it's doing.
0: Crazy. It's absolutely insane. And I honestly, I, I hope to God that you're right about our uh, non-involvement in this Russian-Ukraine conflict. I hope to God you're right about China and Taiwan.
1: All me that Taiwan
0: too. Taiwan does. Yeah, they have they hold about 70 percent of the world's semiconductors, so it would be very problematic potentially. If that yeah, we, could, we could. yeah,
1: I'm telling you, you flip a switch in Austin, Texas yeah. to take care of all we, of that. They need to do
0: that. that, they need to do that already. This should have been they used to do it, it here. Sense. I mean,
1: AMD is still there on 183. I don't know what they're waiting for. Yeah, you know no guy made those things there.
0: Absolutely stupid, but I will say, I do not for one second trust this administration, the last one or the next one to make the right decisions that you've laid out here. So I'll leave it at that. Scott, man, you are the man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. Anything. Yeah, This is absolutely incredible. You are a well of knowledge and I can't wait to talk to you again. Is there anything else that you want to plug real quick before we get off here?
1: I'll tell you what, people want to know what the hell's going on in the world. It's antiwar.com. That's the most important project on the internet. I'm the editorial director there, but I'm not taking credit. I mean, it's Eric Garris and Dave DeKemp and Jason Ditz and Kyle Anzalone and all of our great writers. And we got a ton of great writers there. And we're not commies. We are libertarian, Ron Paulian, capitalist, imperialist, but we run commies. We love commies if they're writing good antiwar stuff. We run anti-war stuff by right-wingers hey. and, and all different political stripes as long as you're on topic. We're not, we are libertarians, but we're not a libertarian site. We're an anti-war site and it's Amen. all the best stuff. I run the Libertarian Institute. That's libertarianinstitute.org. For the people watching this, you'd see over my right shoulder there. Enough already, Time to End the War on Terrorism and Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan. Those are my books. And also there's another one right there. The Great Ron Paul, that's the transcripts of about 30 interviews that i did with ron paul from 2004 to 2019 that's awesome and then um oh i got a show i've done five thousand six hundred and something (laughs) interviews and you can find them all at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scott horton show where you can watch my new speech that's two hours long given the background history of the conflict in ukraine wait that that
0: is going to be an absolute must watch. I'm gonna go check that out this weekend, probably while I'm on the flight to uh Pennsylvania to go speak at their state convention this weekend. Right. It's exactly that, one
1: plane ride, ru- plane ride long. I watched it on the way home from Utah. It was <laughs> like that's from awesome wheels up to wheels down it was perfect. I was like, all right, that's it's awesome. Yeah. That's
0: probably going to be my uh content for that because man, look. You are, like I said, an absolute wealth of knowledge, and it pours out so fast. I'm going to have to follow back up on everything we talked about. This is amazing. You deserve every position that you have right now to be on Fox, to be running your own site, antiwar.com. If you don't know, go check it out, Scott Horton. Follow him, the Scott Horton Show on Twitter. Just absolutely amazing. Scott, I can't wait to talk to you again, man, if you're willing to come back on.
1: Absolutely. Anytime, dude. Happy to. Man, thank
0: you so much. Thank you. All right, see you. Absolutely freaking amazing. Scott Horton, did you expect anything less? I'm sure that you did not. That was ridiculously incredible. There, there, look, we didn't even really scratch the surface. There's so much information coming at us, Scott, at one time and so fast. We didn't even get to scratch the surface of what we wanted to talk about. We ran an hour and a half. And look at everything that was poured in. Absolutely incredible. And now we get live coverage from Spike, the Jew Man Cohen himself, and Matthew, the Always Right, over on Muddy Waters Media. They should be—they should have kicked off here about four minutes ago. I didn't really want to overlap. I could talk to Scott for hours. This is incredible. Go follow and do everything that Scott just said. I am myself. We need to learn as much as possible, and that is a massive source of knowledge. Thank you. I love all of you. Um, as far as tomorrow night goes, we will see. Friday night is a no. Uh, potentially. I'll be in Pennsylvania speaking at their convention. I may do a show Friday night from there. I do not know yet. Do not know yet. Sorry. We're going to play our cards. Anyway, got to get off of here. I will see you If not tomorrow night, if not Friday night, then sometime at this point this weekend, but I'll probably be here tomorrow night. Same cage and time, same cage channel. I love all you degenerates. I am one two, and I'm out.